0: Now, that was Billy Joel talking, talking 40 years ago. The song is You May Be Right. The album was Glass Houses. I have to note that from 1980 till now, I've never really thought that Billy Joel might be crazy. In this particular song, I think we can say that he was being tongue-in-cheek. These phrases have been resonating in the country lately. Oh, that was a joke. That was tongue-in-cheek. That was kidding. Kidding said one. He was being sarcastic. Well, we're great believers here on this program of letting you make the decision on, uh, on such matters. So why don't we cue up a clip, Mr. McMillan, and let the audience decide for themselves whether the president was joking in Tulsa a few days back. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test and they test. We got tests. that People don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. So when he says, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Now, it should be noted on this program for quite some time, we have been expressing a thought that the federal response to the COVID-19 crisis appears to be ridiculously lackadaisical. It seemed very obvious that we were not maximizing our testing. We were not going forward in a speedy way. We were not manufacturing PPE. We were not arranging for contact tracing. And although we did eventually institute some isolation, not just at a local and state level, but based on federal recommendations, we have expressed on more than one occasion on this program the idea that the president was deliberately not testing because in his mind, that was good. May we remind you of the fact that back on March 6th, when the president was touring the CDC and was advised that there was a ship off the California coast that had a lot of COVID cases on it, Trump said, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship that wasn't our fault. Now, a lot of people have pointed out then and now that it's a little bit crazy to think that if you don't do the testing and find the people that are positive, that somehow they're not there. Some have suggested that this is kind of like dealing with the problem of teen pregnancy by not doing pregnancy tests. On that same day last March, the president added he didn't even know if he agreed with proactive testing efforts. He said, you'll find out of those areas just by sitting back and waiting, but they're trying to find out before, before you'd normally find out by waiting. Adding, and you know, I think that's great. Now, we have a lot of clips we're going to run through today, I hope, so we're probably not going to pull up the 90-second one showing the Trump spokesman berating the CNN reporter, talking about how, well, you know, he was, he, was, he was joking. Maybe you guys don't have a sense of humor at your network, but he was joking. I don't normally watch much uh, actual coverage on the boob tube, but I did, I did tune in to this one, the Tulsa rally, just to see where things were headed. At one point, they had a panel of five people on board talking about what had just transpired. The Trump spokesman noted that when the president said he'd slowed down testing, he was kidding. And then he added, you know, at a time like this, I, I, wish, I wish he wouldn't kid about things like that. Anyway, as you might well imagine, the multiple White House officials who realized that, that this was not a good thing for him to have said were trying to say he didn't really mean it literally. He didn't really slow down the testing. So was it the president the next day, to their embarrassment, undercut all of them by saying that no, he was not kidding when he told rally that he asked staff to slow down coronavirus testing. This obviously undercut senior members of his own administration who said the comment was made in jest. Said Trump, I don't kid. Let me tell you, let me make it clear. Now that, that seems clear enough, doesn't it? especially if you take a look back as we're about to do at previous statements. Statements which we talked about on this show and we'll need to talk about again now. Said Trump on April 10th at a White House coronavirus briefing. You don't need testing there, you know, where you have a state with a small number of cases. Some states have almost none. You don't have to test every single person to say, let's open up, let's get the tractors moving, let's get the corn, let's open up. May 6th, during a meeting with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Trump lamented what poor optics surrounded the pandemic as a result of the testing. He said, if we did very little testing, we wouldn't have the most cases. So in a way, by doing all this testing, we make ourselves look bad. On May 8th, on Fox and Friends, Trump appeared to dismiss testing by describing how one of his valets tested positive. He said, we have the best testing in the world, but testing is not necessarily the answer because they were testing them and they tested them four days before and And now I guess everybody's being tested every day. Now stop right there. If you're surrounding the President of the United States or the Vice President, apparently you're being tested on a regular basis. The story is that Trump pitched a fit when he found out that people close to him had actually come down with the virus. And so clearly he's not against testing if he's the beneficiary. On May 14th, during a trip to Pennsylvania that was meant to underscore a new White House effort to replenish the strategic national stockpile, Trump questioned the need for high-volume testing. He said, When you test, you find something is wrong with people. If we don't do any testing, we would have very few cases. Adding later, Could be that testing's frankly overrated. Maybe it's overrated. June 18th, Trump doubled down on that, told the Wall Street Journal testing is overrated, saying, Look, if we didn't test all the cases that we're reporting, you wouldn't know about any of those cases. In many ways, it makes us look bad. The fact that we're so good at something... I guess he means testing, makes us look bad. So if there's anyone out there that still thinks he was joking in Tulsa on the 20th, we'd have to say, wait, we got more. After he made that statement, the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute, Dr. Ashish Jaha, said that Trump's statement was very consistent with the White House's policy in managing the virus, despite the claim that he made that comment in jest. Adding, this is incredibly frustrating for the millions of Americans who've gotten sick and have not been able to get tests. Adding, this is unfortunately not a joke. Said CNN, as recorded cases of coronavirus have risen, public health officials have emphasized that more testing will bring the numbers down and help the nation find a pathway out of the pandemic. Once there is widespread testing, health experts say infected people can be identified and isolated, and close contacts can quarantine themselves at home. Yes, this is the basis of how epidemiologists deal with epidemics and pandemics. So, before close contacts can quarantine themselves at home, they have to be contact traced, those people who got infected, and of course, before you do that, you have to test them. I would like to pause at this moment and sort of pull the camera back. We're kind of doing a tight shot. Let's do a wider shot of this whole thing, this whole pandemic going across the nation, and the guy at the center of it who doesn't want to test, and address the fact that what he is saying is crazy. It is not possible to gain any advantage by being ignorant of who has contracted the virus. The president's logic, if you can call it that, which he's expressed over and over and over again, is that testing is bad. He worries that it makes the U.S. look bad, but what he's really, of course, worried about is that it makes him look bad. And oh, he does look bad. In fact, I've asked Mr. Malone to queue up yet another little musical interlude that I think um, ties into the president's actions. Well, to that I would have to add, in my dreams. But nevertheless, they're coming to take me away, ha ha! They're coming to take me away, ho ho! Hee hee, To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me away, Ha-ha. Ha-ha. To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes, and they're coming to. Well, the fact of the matter is nobody is coming to take the president away. But if you go back to that famous op-ed piece in the New York Times from oh, it's a couple of years ago now, explaining how it was the adults really still were in charge and that they were not going to let Trump do some of the crazy things that he said he wanted to do. Well, let's just say the fact that he's a bit nuts is, is not a new idea. Let's listen to something else he had to say in Tulsa. And despite the fact that we, I, have done a phenomenal job with it, I shut down the United States to very heavily infected, but all people from China in late January, which is months earlier than other people would have done it if they would have done it at all. I saved hundreds of thousands of lives. We don't ever get even a mention. Well, if you've been following events, and we certainly have, and we hope you have too, dear listener, uh, you would know that this is not exactly an accurate depiction of what went down. Trump would have you believe he acted months ahead of the curve on this. He boldly did what needed to be done in spite of people around him tail-dragging. The truth of the matter is that in early January, when various people in the administration advised the president that this was bad, what was going on in China, and that steps needed to be taken here to slow the the arrival of the virus, they were ignored. That would have a bad effect on the economy, said the president. We're not doing that. Adding to the chorus of what lots of people have been pointing out, us included, is none other than John Bolton, a guy we don't often agree with, This week, Bolton told CNN he does not have confidence in President Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic and said his former boss was, quote, turning a blind eye at the onset of the outbreak because he did not want to hear bad news about his friend, Chinese President Xi Jinping. Said Bolton, he did not want to hear bad news about the cover-up of the virus in China or its potential effect on the China trade deal that he wants so much and he didn't want to hear about the potential impact of a pandemic on the American economy and its effect on his re-election. Turning a blind eye to all these early signs, I think, hampered the country's ability to deal with this and continues to do so, Bolton said to Wolf Blitzer. And I don't know why Blitzer would have then asked Bolton this, but he did ask him if he had confidence in Trump's handling of the pandemic. Bolton responded, I do not. The president's former national security advisor added, I'm afraid that the erratic nature of the policies as they've evolved since January, when the experts really began to sense this problem, that this problem might be out there, has characterized our response throughout. And I'm worried that it continues to be the pattern that the president follows. It's not part of a comprehensive strategy. I think in a country the size of the United States, state and local authorities should have a big role but at the federal level, the response has not been consistent. Now, we should note that in taking a look at, at the possibility that the President of the United States has dementia, in tru- that in truth, some of the incredibly stupid things he says has come out of sheer ignorance. Now, it is a level of ignorance that is stunning and just out-and-out out shocking, really. In other parts of his book, John Bolton related how Trump asked him, his national security advisor, if Finland was part of Russia. He did not understand that Ireland was not a part of the United Kingdom. And lest you think that he perhaps has a gap here or there in his knowledge, let's go through a, a list that George Conway, the husband of Trump's counselor Kellyanne Conway, put together on other similar, shall we say, lapses in knowledge. Back in June 2016, before he was president... Trump noted that Belgium is a beautiful city. Some months back, he stunned Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi when he said to him, "It's not like you have a border with China, folks. If you don't know that China and India share a 2,500-mile-long border, you really shouldn't be president." I was unaware of the fact when they when they met earlier in 2017, he referred to Nepal as nipple and he referred to Bhutan as Button. In a November 2018 meeting, meeting with the respective presidents of Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania, Trump called them the Balkans. Those countries are, in fact, the three Baltic states. At some point along the way, he accused the Baltics of starting a war which broke up the former Yugoslavia. And, of course, the Baltic nations had nothing to do with in the Balkans. By the way, the First Lady, Alania Trump, is from Slovenia. This is a country located in the Balkans. It used to be a part of Yugoslavia until that war in the 90s, which Trump believes was started by the Baltic nations. And you know, it's not just John Bolton that says he didn't know Ireland from the UK during a press conference at the end of the G7 summit in France last year. He bragged about the many properties he owns, including a golf course in Duneburg, Ireland, to which he added, I love the UK. George Conway has speculated that Trump probably doesn't know where Ukraine is. Apparently in July of 2019, Trump spoke to Ambassador Gordon Sondland on the phone, who told the president that he was in Kiev. Trump didn't seem to understand this and had to clarify whether Sondland was actually in Ukraine or not. In both 2018 and 2019, he failed to realize the distinction between the UK and England and has complained that the UK doesn't call itself England anymore. Okay, so he's grossly ignorant. And we know he has something of, well, I I guess it's fair to say a malignant personality. He has been credibly accused of being a psychopath slash sociopath. And although we're not going to go into that potential diagnosis today, We'd have to say that it's worthy of a future discussion on this show. But let's talk, as we're doing today, about the fact that he is possibly actually crazy. Now, we admit, crazy is a colloquial expression or word. It's, it's not a really a proper medical term. But we're using it. But as we think, it exactly gets the point of what we're talking about. Somebody who is, well, a really big mess. <laughs> Well, there's lots of ways to be really mixed up. Demented people get mixed up, but of course, not all mixed up people are demented. But please allow me at this point to quote from a piece by Felicia Sanmez in the Washington Post. President Trump on Monday accused his predecessor, Barack Obama, of treason without offering any evidence or details to back up his claim. Trump made the accusation interview with the Christian Broadcasting Network. The president has frequently accused others of treason, but Monday marked the first time he has leveled that claim against the man who preceded him in the Oval Office. The Christian Broadcasting Network's David Brody said, On Obama and the spying situation, this idea that they were spying on your campaign, you've been asked before about what crime would have been potentially committed. Trump responded, treason. It's treason. Look, when I came out a long time ago, I said they have been spying on our campaign. It turns out I was right. Let's see what happens to them now. And boy, wouldn't you like to know what he meant by let's see what happens to them now. Despite Donald Trump's assertion that the FBI under Obama wiretapped the phones at Trump Tower during the 2016 campaign, Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz said last year he found no evidence of that. That has not stopped Trump from continuing to make the claim. In an exchange with reporters in the White House briefing room last month, Trump was pressed for more information on the scheme he has taken to calling Obamagate. The reporter asked him what crime was he accusing his, the former president of committing. Trump responded, You know what the crime is, providing no details. The crime is very obvious to everybody. All you have to do is read the newspapers, except yours. Now, I have to confess, this correspondent has been reading the newspapers to try and figure out what the president is alluding to when he talks about Obamagate. And so far, I've come up empty. All <laughs> I, 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 I. Well, I think we are on a crazy train. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And we have a president of the United States who's slowing testing. After he made that shocking statement last weekend in Tulsa, two leading Democratic senators took off the gloves and slammed the Health and Human Services Department for its failure to spend $14 billion in funds Congress approved in April to expand coronavirus testing and tracing. Writing in a letter to HHS Secretary Alex Azar, Senator Patty Murray, Democrat from Washington, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, wrote, While it has been months since these funds were first appropriated, the administration has failed to disperse significant amounts of this funding, leaving communities without the resources they need to address the significant challenges presented by the virus. They added, The U.S. is at a critical juncture in its fight against COVID-19, and now is the time for an aggressive and fast response, wrote Murray and Schumer. They then added, This administration will leave our country at grave risk if it tries to declare an early victory, leave life-saving work undone, and leave resources our communities desperately need still sitting untouched. The senator's letter noted that the administration has yet to spend more than $8 billion of the $25 billion Congress appropriated for testing last April. It also failed to spend $4 billion in funds for COVID-19 contact tracing, and nearly $2 billion to provide free testing for the uninsured. Uh, Trump, for his part, we remind you, said last Sunday, you know, testing is a double-edged sword. When you do testing, to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Taking exception to a lot of this was Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Michigan, whose father died last week of complications from the coronavirus. She condemned Trump's remarks, saying, This man is reprehensible. My father and so many Americans lost their lives, and this is what he has to say. I pray for our country to find a way to recover from the destruction of his presidency and heal all wounds. This presidency is without a shred of humanity and dignity. So yeah, congressmen are losing their dads. The world's number one tennis player, Novak Djokovic, apparently has contracted the virus in Croatia. As I speak into a microphone, I look over at my computer screen to see that at the moment, the U.S. tally stands at just under 2.5 million cases. We added 40,000 cases in the last day. Our death toll stands at 124,000, with 800 added to that sad tally in the last day. And we're not going to spend too much time on today's show going through the various numbers. We've done an awful lot of that in the past and we'll be doing more of it in the future. But I do want to give a special citation to the country we can cite that has definitely done a worse job than the United States, Brazil. Brazil is now the second country to officially have more than 1 million cases, although, if the true numbers were known, we suspect Russia probably has more than a million. And India, which officially has 472,000 cases, uh, for all we know, could be three times that. It should be noted, again, that Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has refused to take the pandemic seriously. He rejected a general lockdown and has fired or driven out cabinet officials who have argued for stronger measures. When he was asked last month about Brazil's COVID-19 death toll being higher than China, Bolsonaro shrugged and said, So what? I'm sorry. What do you expect me to do? Well, we might have expected him to take some steps to combat it. Oh, and China's numbers are highly suspect. In terms of official cases, China has now dropped to 21st place. It's behind Qatar. We suspect that's because they do a lot of testing in Qatar, which has oil money. Beijing locked down this week after 130 people in the capital tested positive for COVID-19. Anyone who had visited the Xinfadi sprawling wholesale market where the virus cluster emerged must self-isolate for 14 days. Beijing had been free of the virus for 50 days before the new cases began to emerge. Meanwhile, down in New Zealand, which has declared itself free of COVID-19, well, wouldn't you know it, a few cases showed up and were promptly isolated. Mr. Merlin points out, it's funny how that thing with testing and then isolating works, isn't it? You know, if we ever needed a, aw, story, and (laughs) God, do we. Thank God we have this one from last month. Turns out in 1847, the Choctaw Nation raised $170, which was was real money back then, to send to Irish peasants starving in the potato famine. It was a large sum for the impoverished Choctaw, who had been forcibly relocated from the deep south to Oklahoma on the Trail of Tears. Ireland never forgot that selfless act, and after 173 years... The Irish are donating money to Hopi and Navajo communities hit hard by COVID-19. The fund has so far raised $2.7 million. Said Michael Corkery, who gave $200, the Choctaw showed such decency and humanity, we are still grateful. And no, I don't have an explanation for why it is. When the Choctaw sent money to the Irish, the Irish sent money back to the Hopi and Navajo, but I'm, I'm sure there's an explanation there, I just don't know it. Anyway, I do want to note that we've been predicting for some time on this program there would be an explosion of cases about now, and it's happening. And no, it's not because we have a crystal ball or our epidemiologic geniuses. We're just applying very basic biology and medicine and doing a little bit of math. We would like to point out this is not a second wave. We are still in the first wave. Some optimists, optimists are saying that we may hit 200,000 by the end of September. We think we'll get there by Labor Day. There's so much we still need to know. The Economist notes that that here in America, over 8,000 military personnel have tested positive for COVID-19 with three deaths. A case fatality rate for those with military ties is 0.3% considerably lower than the rate for the broader public, perhaps because soldiers tend to be young and fit. But keep in mind, it is this subset of young and fit that shows that fatality rate of 0.3%. When that number was being thrown around as the best estimate last January, it was said that, well, this isn't that much worse than the flu, which has a rate of 0.1%. God knows. We hope when it's all said and done, the death rate is lower than we fear. But I'm looking at the COVID dashboard right now showing 124,000 deaths versus 1 million, just over 1 million who are considered recovered. The other 1.3 million are considered active cases. In other words, we still don't know whether you wind up better or dead. 124,000 dead versus a million recovered, that's an 8 to 1 ratio or 12% fatality rate among those cases that have resolved. Folks, stay safe. All right, we started this segment talking about craziness. We're going to end it with that. And for that, we're going to go to John Bolton, not considered a friend of this program. In his new book, The Room Where It Happened, Bolton sheds some further light on the issue of what the president has been willing to do in dealing with other nations for his own personal benefit. As you might recall, that led to a certain thing called impeachment when Ukraine was involved. Bolton portrays this as part of a pattern In particular, he says, Trump asked Xi Jinping to help him win a second term. When the two presidents met in the sidelines of the G20 summit in Tokyo a year ago, Trump stressed the importance of farmers and increased Chinese purchases of soybeans and wheat in his electoral outcome. At the same meeting in Tokyo, Mr. Xi defended his mass detentions of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Bolton recounts that Mr. Trump told Mr. Xi he thought it was exactly the right thing to do and he should go ahead with building the detention camps. Well, on some level you're going under when you're telling a guy who's suppressing a minority he's doing exactly the right thing and he should go ahead with building detention camps. We absolutely positively do need a break, so let's take one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Hi, this is James Brown, Soul Brother number one. Always fighting, now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs. Because they are super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad.